MacCast, Sunday, August 20th, 2023. Hey, Mac Geeks, it's time for your MacCast, the show for Mac Geeks by Mac Geeks. I'm Adam, and this is the show where we discuss all things Macintosh. How you doing? Welcome back to the MacCast. Glad to be back here with you for another week of Mac hints, tips, tricks, and all the goings-ons in the Apple and Mac community. How are you doing? Hope you are having a wonderful day, that things are going well for you. Things are pretty good around here. It's been pretty nice. Um, looking over the show notes today, a little bit light. We don't have a lot going on right now. I think, again, we're in that little holding pattern as we're waiting for the fall announcements to come out. we got a little bit of iPhone news uh, surrounding the iPhone 15, some more details on maybe upcoming M3 Max, and a little bit of Apple TV Plus news. But that's that's about the bulk of it uh, for this week. And then we're going to get into some of your feedback and questions. I've got a great question about email and hosting. Uh, someone looking for some alternatives for PDF editors. And then a question about two-factor authentication. And then a really cool listener thing of the moment. Uh listener sent in a great little app that I want to tell you about. So still should be a great episode. I say we just dive right into things, starting with iPhone 15. I think we've talked a little bit about the fact that uh, we're expecting this to be the year that Apple finally transitions the iPhone from the lightning connector to USB-C. We've been talking about that quite a bit. I think overall the timing just makes sense. It's time to move on to a more standardized connector across the board. Apple's added USB-C to most of the devices. The iPhone's been kind of the holdout. Now we're having rumors and more mounting evidence though that the USB-C port on the iPhone 15s might bring another cool feature which is Thunderbolt support. So faster transfers. This is based on a new report and information coming from Charger Lab. They have images of the alleged new iPhone 15 USB-C port that shows the chips and components and stuff like that. And it has on it a re-timer chip. And so what's making them think this means that Thunderbolt might be coming to the iPhone is that chip is used to reconstruct signals and reduce jitter on Thunderbolt devices. So you'd only really have that if it was Thunderbolt capable. And uh, current lightning port can transmit up to, I think, 480 megabits per second. Uh, USB-C uh, can go up to between 5 gigabits per second, 10 gigabits per second, depending upon the flavor and variation of the USB. Thunderbolt, however, could be capable of or is capable up to 40 gigabits per second. And we've seen that with the iPad question is, will Apple now bring that to the iPhone? Because exactly what Apple chooses to support in the iPhone, what speeds they're going to support, that's up for a little bit of conjecture until we hear directly from Apple. I mean, there's no guarantee that there is Thunderbolt in there, right? This is always rumors at this point, but I would imagine at least in the iPhone Pro models, they might go with Thunderbolt. And that's going to be, it's going to make it a lot better for data transfers for, say, Folks on the high end who are say shooting maybe raw or ProRes video on their iPhones and just large images and all that stuff. So there's a lot of advantages of being able to bring Thunderbolt to the iPhone. 
also, I think, has more power uh, capabilities, which may feed into a little bit the next rumor we're hearing about this new Thunderbolt or this new USB-C port. And that is that the iPhone 15 is also rumored to gain faster charging support with up to 35 watts. Now, Apple currently on the iPhone 14 Pro goes up to 27 watts. And with the iPhone 14, I think it's at 20 watts. So again, they could kind of reserve the faster charging just for the Pro models. I know this is a running theme, right? If you've been paying attention the past few episodes, you've been noticing more and more that a lot of rumors are pointing to the fact that the Pro models are going to have a lot more features and enhancements than maybe the standard models of iPhone this year. So Apple wanting to further differentiate and sort of push consumers toward those higher-end models, including the larger phone size. So we talked about that. Um, some of the camera features might be exclusive to the Pro Max, and that's happened in the past. And, you know, I'm not a, a Pro Max fan, but we'll have to wait and see. I might This might be the year I transition. It's also, I think, the year I might not upgrade, uh, but I don't think I'm fooling anybody. I think I mentioned that last episode, too. I'm probably going to just jump right in. Um, but yeah, Apple already offers the their 35-watt dual USB-C charger that was introduced last year. So in theory, if you're using just that to charge one device, it could go up to 35 watts. So that could be capable with a new iPhone 15 of charging that at full speed. So we'll have to wait and see if that's going to happen. And then... This last rumor is one that I'm a little bit disappointed about. Uh, No leather for you is this report. I am a big fan of Apple's iPhone leather case. I have had that on my last, I don't even know how many iPhones. Probably, I think every iPhone since they introduced the leather iPhone case, that's been my case of choice. I absolutely love it. I love how they look. I love how they wear. It's a great case. Now there's this odd report that Apple might not offer leather cases for the iPhone 15 models this year. This comes from 9to5Mac. They heard the claim. They were a little skeptical themselves, but checked uh, additional sources. And additional sources seem to be confirming that Apple is not prepping leather iPhone cases for the iPhone 15 models. And so that kind of stinks. Now, what might be happening is they might be looking at this from an environmental and sustainability aspect. So looking at other high-end materials, and I guess a lot of car manufacturers have done this recently, moved away from leather. I personally love leather. I'd hate to see it go, but sounding like Apple may be taking a similar uh, a similar direction and looking for alternatives to leather, but still something that has that high-end finish high-end feel to it. So it could just be kind of a rethinking of the leather case, and let's hope for that, because, again, I love the design. I love the feel. As long as the material is similar, I guess I'm going to kind of be okay with that, but I don't know. I, I personally feel nothing compares to leather, especially with the way it sort of ages and wears, and I, I don't know if an alternative material is going to be able to do that. But you know, we'll have to wait and see, but this could be the end of the uh, leather iPhone case this year. So that was kind of all the iPhone rumors. Not a lot of tech stuff, more, I guess the USB-C stuff is kind of techy, but, you know, just a few kind of ancillary rumors this time around. 
I think last time we also talked a little bit about the new M3 Max. There was some rumors and some details about when those chips might be coming and uh, what models we might see those in. If you missed that, go back and listen to the last episode of the MacCast. This week, Mark German continues to give us the goodies on what new M3 Max could look like, and it's getting pretty exciting. In his latest newsletter, he dropped the specs on the M3, M3 Pro, M3 Max, and M3 Ultra chips in terms of CPU and GPU cores and all that sort of fun stuff. I think we already discussed the M3 uh, as it's looking like it's going to have the same eight core CPU with four performance cores and four high efficiency cores and then a 10 uh, core GPU configuration. That's exactly the same as the M2, but it's going to use the new three nanometer manufacturing process. So you still should get better performance, better energy efficiency. So there will be some gains there might not be as huge with the M3 pro. It looks like they're going to go from 10 to 12 cores that they have currently in the M2 to up to 12 to 14 cores in the M3 with six or eight high performance cores and six energy efficient cores, and then going with a 18 or 20 core GPU, and that would be up from 16 uh, or 19 uh, core GPUs in the current M2 Pro. On the Max, it's reportedly going to get 16 CPU cores with 12 high performance and four energy efficient cores and a 32 or a 40 core GPU. That's versus, versus the M2, which currently has a 12 core CPU, eight performance and four high energy and then 30 or 38 core GPU. So a nice little bump up there. And then finally, I think the Ultra kind of gets the the biggest bump. 32 core CPU, that's 24 high performance cores, eight energy efficient cores with a 60 or an 80 core GPU. And that's versus the M2 Ultra, which currently has a 24 core CPU with 16 high performance cores and eight energy efficient cores and a 60 or a 76 core GPU. So we're looking to get pretty good performance bump, especially on the higher end M3 chips. And it'll be interesting to see what kind of impact that has on say MacBook Pros and Mac Studios and all that sort of thing. Um, you know, whether we get more than that kind of average 15 to 20%, usually around 15% uh, performance increase in terms of real world and, and numbers and stuff like that. So we'll have to wait and see on that. Apple is also apparently testing MacBook Pro models with 36 gigabyte and 48 gigabyte memory configurations, which is a little bit odd. Existing options are 16, 32, 64, or 96. So I don't know if that means they're going to kind of slot in some additional memory configurations or if those would actually replace ones like the 32 gigabyte going to 36 i'm not sure where 48 gigabyte fits in or why those configurations are kind of showing up in the rumors this time around um but i'm sure there's some sort of technical reason for that and they probably will explain that when they launch the new chips as far as when we're going to see those chips uh we're expecting the m3s probably in that uh rumored announcement that would happen sometime in October of this year. And then I would not expect to hear any information around the uh, Max or Ultra chips until sometime sometime next year. We could see the M3 Pro, I think, maybe in the 13-inch MacBook Pro. Um, But that that remains to be seen. We'll probably find out uh, maybe in October. 
And then the last little bit, little news item that I have this week is related to the Apple TV Plus show Hijack starring Edris Elba. It seems to this week have landed in the top streaming spot, at least according to real good data. Um, but it's happening now that all the episodes are available. The seven episode series actually released its first episode back in June. So it didn't hit the charts then. Um, but the show it follows Alba's character uh, who is on a plane flight from Dubai to London. That gets hijacked and he kind of has to negotiate with the hackers, try and uh, you know, get a hold of the situation basically before the plane lands. I haven't seen the show yet, but that's what I understand the general synopsis of it to be. Um, now, the fact that it is now hitting the top charts, now that it's completely released, all the episodes are released, isn't too surprising to me because I've personally heard that it's a really, really good series. There were a lot of people that told me I should probably be watching it. And I think many people, myself included, often prefer to wait when you hear about a really good show on streaming, right? You prefer to wait until the entire series is available so that when you do dive into it, if you get sucked in, you can binge the whole thing. You can go episode to episode to episode and you don't have to wait weeks and weeks and weeks to get additional uh, content. So I think that's probably what's happening here. It's just an interesting little trend and trajectory for how people are watching shows and what becomes popular or sort of hits the top charts at any given moment. So I don't know. What do you think? Do you do, you do that? Do you wait, uh, you know, specifically for certain shows to kind of build up so that you can then just binge watch them? Or are you more the type of person that, hey, if I hear about a new show, I want to jump in right away and get at it as soon as possible. And I'm okay waiting. I think I have some shows that I'll do that with. But more and more these days, if I hit a show and I find out that it's doing that week to week release schedule, I'll just wait. That's just personally me, but I'd love your opinion. Uh, shoot me an email. Send me an audio comment. Maccast at gmail.com. But with that, that is really about all we got for the news for this week. Before we move on, though, I do want to take a quick moment and thank a show sponsor, and that is Simply Safe. Hey, are you planning on heading out on one last getaway this summer? Before you take off, protect your home with the latest innovation from Simply Safe Home Security 24 7 Live Guard Protection. It's designed to help stop crime in real time. So now, if an intruder breaks into your home, Simply Safe professional monitoring agents can actually see, speak to, and deter them with the new Smart Alarm wireless indoor camera warning them that the police are on the way. I personally in my life have been lucky enough to never have experienced a break-in in my home, but I definitely know how traumatic it can be. Growing up, I had a neighbor who had their house broken into not once, but multiple times. It got so bad to the point where they actually put a sign on their door that said, there's nothing left to steal. Don't come here. Yeah, it wasn't great. Now, with Simply Safe, there's good odds that you'll never have to experience that because Simply Safe's professional monitoring agents can now warn intruders that they're being recorded and the police are on their way in real time, stopping them in their tracks. 24-7 live guard protection is made possible with the new smart alarm wireless indoor camera available with the Fast Protect monitoring plan. The new smart alarm indoor camera is the only indoor security camera that can trigger the alarm 
and instantly deter intruders with a built-in siren. With advanced motion detection and Vision AI, the smart alarm indoor camera can sense the difference between potential intruders and pets to reduce false alarms. 24-7 live guard protection and the new smart alarm indoor camera work seamlessly as part of the entire Simply Safe security system to keep your whole home safe from break-ins, fires, flooding, and more. And right now, MacCast listeners get a special 20% off any Simply Safe system when you sign up for a free month trial of Fast Protect Monitoring. This is a special offer for a limited time only. So visit simplysafe.com slash maccast. That's simplysafe.com slash maccast. There's no safe like Simply Safe. And a big thank you to Simply Safe for their support of the show. I have one real quick follow up from the last episode of the Maccast. We were talking about. Mac OS Ventura 13.5, the update, and the fact that they broke location services in that update. So if you went into settings, security, privacy, and looked at location services, the feature where you could control which apps were allowed to use your location, turn that on and off. You could see which apps had been using your location in the past you know, 24 hours or recently, all that sort of stuff. All of those apps were completely gone from the list. And Apple had not addressed the bug. It had been several weeks, if not longer. And um, I was commenting on that, and I thought it was pretty bad. Well, it looks like macOS Ventura 13.5.1 came out, and it has fixed that location services issue. So that thing I reported on on the last episode has been fixed. I'm not going to say it was because we talked about it, but timing was interesting. (laughs) Anyway, I don't think Apple, I don't think Apple listens to us, but anyway, it's fixed. So if you want to grab that update, uh, that will fix that issue. Had an email this week from Susan and she said, Hey, I want off of my ISP's email. She uses Comcast, uh, which she says, by the way, is, you know, quote unquote sucks for email. Uh, I have an opinion that a lot of ISPs don't do a really great job with email. I mean, it's okay, but you don't get a lot um, for what they give you in terms of storage, in terms of features and all those sorts of things. So she was looking for an alternative and was turning to the community to uh, see what our recommendations might be. Now, she knows she could go with a free Gmail address, which is what a lot of us do. I mean, maccast at gmail.com is my email address for the maccast, but she's looking for something a little bit more than uh, Google, the free Google at least, offers. Specifically, the ability to use her own domain, and she would really like to have a service that offers, you know, some kind of tech support. And as we know, Google, free Google, you're not getting any tech, tech support. So, she said, hey, Google Workspace might be an option. Um, that's actually what I use for MacCast.com and also um, some other business emails that I have. And I think it's great. I love Google Workspace. But for her, it she said, it comes with a lot more than I really need beyond just email. And it can get pricey. And I agree with that. Uh, Google Workspace comes at, a, I think, starts at $6 a month U.S. per user. So if you have a lot of email addresses you want to set up, or maybe you're sharing, you know, email with your family and those sorts of things, that can get pricey 
really, really quick. And then she said that she had heard of Hover.com, which this was interesting because I am a big fan of Hover for domain name registration. I register all my domains at Hover and have for a long, long time. And I wasn't aware that they actually did email, but I guess they do. And I looked into it and it actually isn't a bad deal. I might consider Hover for email. Uh, US $25 a year, that gets you one terabyte of storage. I think, though, it's still per email address. I couldn't find any details on their site to show if I can set up multiple email accounts under that one account under Hover. Might have to dig into that a little bit more if you happen to be a Hover email subscriber. Uh, maybe you know. Uh, but I still think that's a great, great price. $29 a year for one terabyte of storage compared to some of the other options is a pretty good deal. So that would be another option. And I know that fast mail is something that people in the community have recommended to me in the past. It's another popular service. I haven't personally used them yet, although I have several times looked at it and considered maybe migrating over there. Um, they are priced similarly, in my opinion, to Gmail, about $5 per user per month. They have a lower tier, um, but it looks like for that, you have to use web-based email and can't use like a third-party client, like your iPhone client or Outlook, which I think would be terribly inconvenient. So I would just say you need to start at the $5 a month account. Um, but again, I'd love to hear opinions of folks who use FastMail or actually any other service that might be out there. So I thought these are all really great options, but I think there's one that might be even better, especially for those of us who have an iCloud Plus account, because with an iCloud Plus account, you can actually use your own domain. I'm going to link to the Apple support cart article in the show notes at maccast.com that kind of details this, but not only can you use your own domain, you can use up to five custom domains and with each domain, you can set up three personalized email addresses per domain. So it's actually a pretty good deal, and you're probably already paying for it. Not only that, you can use those personalized email addresses for your messages, for FaceTime, for calendar, uh, to sign into your devices, and do a whole bunch of other stuff with your iCloud account. Um, and if you have a family share plan, you can share that domain. Now, again, I personally haven't tried this myself, but it definitely sounds like a great option if you're already paying for iCloud Plus, and I know a lot of people already are. So on this one, I definitely would love to hear experiences of anybody who has been using their own domain for email with iCloud Plus. What are the what are the advantages? What are any disadvantages? Things you don't like about it or restrictions? But overall, I mean, reading the support article, it seems to me like it might be a pretty good option and a pretty good deal for a lot of people. I'd also love to know any other recommendations for email hosting services that maybe we can share with Susan. And uh, so I'm reaching out to the community. What are you using for email? What do you like? And uh, what kind of good deals are out there uh, for doing email? Shoot me some feedback and an audio com or an audio comment rather. I guess you can and an audio comment too also works, but maccast at gmail.com. I also received an email from Kim this week who wrote in to ask about options for PDF editing apps now that PDF Pen has been sold off by Smile. You all know huge fan of Smile software, Smile, and PDF Pen. 
used it for years and years and years. Uh, they recently sold off that portion of the business. They're just doing text expander now. So, you know, Kim wrote in and said, hey, the new owners have kind of gone upscale. Um, they're really targeting businesses, it seems like to me. Um, they do kind of have an essentials plan, but the pricing is, you know, still pretty high. Uh, $129 for uh, a license or $10 a month on subscription. So that doesn't maybe fit everybody's budget. And so Kim was asking for a recommendation. And uh, for a Mac-based, iOS-based alternative that I feel is like similar to what PDF Pen was, my recommendation probably would be PDF Expert from Readl. Um, its pricing is similar though it's $80 a year on subscription or you can pay $139 for a lifetime license so you know definitely not inexpensive or cheap but pretty good deal for a pretty great product I think PDF Expert is a really really nice option for PDF editing and doing notation and all that fun stuff but the reality these days is I think for most people, for what most people need, you can probably get away with just using Preview, which is built right into your Mac. It has pretty good editing and markup with the markup option. Uh, you can do things like convert non-form PDFs into form PDFs with auto field recognition. So it'll do that. You can add and save signatures, sign documents, do notation. I, it's really, really great. Now, Kim did note that accessing and using fonts in forms is a little bit clunky. You need to detect the form fields, and then you have to use the markup mode to access the font selections. And the font selections, he says, don't stick from field to field. So you kind of have to change the font, go to the next field, change the font, and do it over and over again. So there's some improvements that could be made there, I guess. Um, I haven't played around too much with the font stuff. I did kind of try this, and I even had a form where it just kept reverting the font back to the default Helvetica. So I don't know what that was all about, but, you know, your mileage may vary, but it's preview, it's free, it's built in. Overall, I kind of agree. There's some clunky things about it, but you can pretty much get everything you need to get done with PDF editing in preview these days. They've kind of Sherlocked a lot of the other apps to a certain degree, and there's a lot of powerful stuff built in there for free. I mean, you can add and remove pages, you can split documents, you can kind of do all the things that you need to do. Another great example is I sometimes use it for very basic image editing and conversion, doing things like cropping and resizing. Um, I use it a lot in my job for just doing annotation of screenshots. It's really, really great for that. And it even has tools for doing things like adjusting color, making quick color adjustment. If you go under the tools menu, adjust color option, and you can tweak the colors, you can play around with histograms, all that sort of stuff on images. So it works great in a pinch as a very, very basic image editor as well. So lots of great things you can do with PDF, or with preview rather, and PDFs or just image files and all that sort of thing. If you have some hints and tips for preview, send those in to maccast at gmail.com. Now, here's an interesting question that came in from Joe via email, or was more a request. He said to me, I have one request. Convince me to use two-factor authentication. 
He says he hates the added step that two-factor authentication adds, even though he knows it's more secure. Uh, he feels like recently Apple's really been pushing and nagging him to use two-factor authentication. Um, the extra step of just getting a, a code sent to you is just too much hassle when you're trying to log in. And he said his biggest concern is when he's traveling, he only has a non-cellular iPad and his iPhone with him. But what happens if he loses his iPhone? What's the procedure for logging into iCloud or using two-factor authentication when your iPhone, your one of your devices is unavailable? Um, and I think these are all great, great questions and concerns that a lot of people have when confronted with, you know, two-factor authentication. Now, first thing I'm going to say up front is I would never try to convince anyone to do anything. And that's because I think we are all people with free will and we're free to do whatever you, you're, you know, you're free to do whatever you want. I'm free to do whatever I want. And I think that's fine. Um, I'm not going to really try and push an agenda or, you know, say you have to use two-factor authentication. I know some people out there will. Now, I will give you my opinions and share my experiences. And if that helps you choose to add two-factor authentication to your workflow, then I think that's awesome. Personally, I use two-factor authentication whenever I possibly can. I think it's very important from a security perspective. Uh, I think it going to help you from getting hacked. And, and even if your passwords get stolen, it's that extra layer of protection. You know, if they get exposed, not even through your own, um, you know, practices, I practice really good password stuff. I use a password manager. I have a different password for every service that I use. It is completely randomized. It is generated by my password manager. I don't even know what half not even half. I don't know what most of my passwords are actually for most of the services that I log into. I let my password manager manage that. And I have a very strong, secure password for that password manager that only I know. Well, I and my wife know. And uh, that's it. Like, it's very well protected. And I do two-factor authentication again whenever I can on top of that. Um, and I'll explain how a password manager can help with some of those inconveniences too. So, you know, that's what I personally do. I think it's very important in this day and age to use it. It's an extra security measure. Do you have to use it? No. I mean, that's, again, I feel like security, privacy, all these things are very personal and you get to choose how you want to manage your risk when it comes to those sorts of things. I choose to take a posture that I think is more secure, in my opinion. You may deem that that's not necessary. So definitely not going to try to convince you, but do want to answer some of your questions and concerns, and maybe that will help guide you or help you make an informed decision about whether you want to use two-factor authentication or not. So one of the things you can do when you set up iCloud two-factor authentication, at least, is you add trusted devices. So when you're setting up, you add trusted devices and you add trusted phone numbers. A trusted phone number doesn't have to just be your iPhone. So you might consider adding another device that's not your iPhone. And in fact, it doesn't even have to be a phone number that can get a text. Um, the verification code can be sent to you, you know, via text or a phone call. 
So you could just get an audio voice call with the number. So it could be your home phone, for example, if you have a landline. Now, a lot of people don't, but you know, you could be a phone number of another trusted person or individual. Um, you can also, you know, allow a trusted person now to have access to your iCloud account. Um, so that's all possible. A trusted device is any other device. That could be an iPhone, an iPad, an iPod Touch, an Apple Watch, a Mac. So there's lots of other trusted devices. And if you have more than one Apple device, then you know you have a lot of options for where to get a two-factor authentication code. Because the next tip I'm going to tell you about is you can use any trusted device not only to receive a two-factor authentication code, but you can actually have the device itself generate the code or give you the code. You don't even have to, you know, have it sent to you from Apple. You can actually go into the device and get the code. So on iOS, if you go under settings, go under your name for your iCloud account, tap on password security, there is a little link in there that says get verification code. You tap that, it will give you a two-factor authentication ver a verification code. Same thing on the Mac. You can go into system settings, password and security, and choose the option to get a verification code. So in the situation you were describing where maybe you only have your iPad and your iPhone gets stolen, you can still go in on your iPad, generate that code, and actually it will still send the code to your iPad. And the reason that works is because, well, let me, let me back it up again. It will work that way if you lock your iPad and have it behind a security code, face ID, touch ID, whatever whatever you might do. But as long as you have that set up, then it can send the security code to that device because in order to get that code, you would have to be logged in. You'd have to be able to log into the device. So you have to have that prove that you have physical access to that device, right? So that's one thing. And on that device, you can then generate a security code or a verification code if you need it. For third-party services, I recommend, and this is where we're getting back to the password manager, I recommend using a password manager not only so that you can keep track of all your passwords and you can set up secure passwords that are different for every single service that you log into, but most password managers also allow you to add your two-factor authentication method to the actual password manager. Now I use 1Password, but there are a lot of other ones that support this. I just happen to be a 1Password user. And with it, you don't need any kind of special authenticator app to do verification codes. You can actually set those up right inside your password manager. So when you're setting up your password for your account, when you go to scan the QR code, you scan that right into your password manager, or you can enter it manually with the number and set up the two-factor authentication code. And then your password manager becomes the thing that generates that code or gives that code for that service or that thing that you're logging into. And what's great about that is if you use um, the integration with iOS or use the browser plugin, it can even auto-fill in that two-factor authentication code so it gets rid of that inconvenience. So I have many websites where I just going through the regular login, I log in, username and password, it says enter your two-factor authentication code, 1Password automatically fills that in for me and even continues on. So it almost completely skips that step. 
Um, and you could always just also just copy and pass, uh, copy and paste rather that two-factor authentication code right from your password manager. So there's a lot of ways to kind of get around or mitigate or minimize that kind of inconvenience that you're talking about when it comes to two-factor authentication codes. Now, some services still do the whole text-based one, which honestly isn't as secure. Um, It's better than nothing, in my opinion, when it comes to two-factor authentication, but really more should be moving to um, the, the passcode, sort of QR code kind of, methodology and you'd hope that the service has that but not all do so just something to be aware of and yes texting can be a little bit inconvenient but there's one other thing to talk about here because all of this stuff is supposedly going away this is one of those i'll believe it when i actually see it but support is coming apple's adding support for moving us all to something called pass keys and pass keys are going to be supposedly the new way that we're going to log into everything and it's going to get rid of usernames and passwords on services altogether because what it's going to do is tie into authentication you already have say for your computer like again face id or touch id so pass keys use touch id or face id to identify you rather than using a you know username and password combination that you share and it's just integrated into the operating system they can also be physical keys things like a yubi key if you're familiar with that it's a little device that you plug in and it generates random codes when you activate it with, with capacitive touch kind of auto fills in these auto generated codes and um, it's another physical security thing so it's it's literally like a key you have to carry it around with you you don't want to lose it. There's backup mechanisms for that too, though. But um, yeah, it's a physical login device. Or again, you could use Touch ID or Face ID. And that is supposedly coming. Um, again, I think it's going to be a longer, slow process. So in the meantime, I would still personally, again, use two-factor authentication, but completely understand if uh, it's not something. And I don't, I don't know if I've convinced you uh, that you need to use it, but um, hopefully this information helps you out. And uh, anybody else who has additional recommendations around authentication, pass keys, two-factor authentication codes, that sort of thing, um, to share, shoot us an email, send us an audio comment, maccast at gmail.com. Okay, last thing that I have for you this week is a thing of the moment, but it is a listener thing of the moment, and a big thank you to Bob for sending this one in. And Bob says, hey, you know, when you're watching something on TV or a movie and you have that like inkling in your brain, you see an actor and you're like, I know he was in this other show or this other movie, but I can't remember that. Bob says, get this new app called call sheet. Uh, it will allow you to find that information on your iOS device very quickly and easily. Or if you know, you're watching a movie and you want to know who's in the cast, you can pull it up in call sheet. Uh, It's a cool little app. I downloaded it. It integrates with IMDB. And I know you can get a lot of this information from IMDB, but why not just grab it from an app you've got right there on your phone? It even has some additional integrations. There's a where to watch feature. So if you're trying to find a show or a movie on streaming and you want to see what service it's on, it's right there in the app. It's kind of all in one place. Uh, It also offers an anti-spoiler alert setting. So you can hide information like... Maybe you don't want to see the character name 
of a cast member that's in a thing because that could spoil uh, a character that might have a secret identity or maybe you don't want to know about. You could just get the actor's name and not the, the role that they play. This was developed by Casey List, who uh, makes some great iOS apps. Uh, it is a subscription-based app, but it's only a buck a month or nine bucks a year, so not too bad. And you can try the app out for free with 20 free searches, and there is a seven-day free trial. So you can definitely try it out, see if it's something that works for you, see if you like it. But I think it's a cool little app, and uh, thank you, Bob, for letting the community know about it. I very much appreciate it, and uh, yeah, so check it out. It is Call Sheet, cast and crew. And with that, that is going to do it for the show for this week. Before I leave you, I want to thank a couple of show supporters. Bandwidth for the MacCast is provided by Cashfly. You can find them at C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y.com. And all advertising on the MacCast is handled by Backbeat Media. They are at BackbeatMedia.com. As always, I love hearing from you. If you have a comment, a question, something you'd like to hear covered on a future episode of the MacCast, you can send your emails and audio comments to maccast at gmail.com. You're also welcome to call in on the listener hotline and leave a voicemail. That phone number is 281-622-4269, 281-MAC-IM-9. And if you need show notes, links to anything that I talked about on this or any other episode of MacCast, you can find those on the website. That's at MacCast.com. And finally, if you want to follow me on social media, you can find me on Twitter, Twitter.com, or is it X now? Twitter.com slash MacCast. You can check out the MacCast Facebook page over at Facebook.com slash the MacCast, or find me on Instagram, just MacCast on Instagram. But with that, that'll do it for now. Until next time, I will talk to you all again real soon. <laughs>